0: So uh if you got didn't if you didn't get one of those and want one, uh just raise your hand. Um did you get one? You didn't get one? Oh. oh. okay, okay, thank you. Uh Denise has extras for anybody that doesn't uh doesn't have one or didn't get one, okay? Praise God. But it just gives an overview of the churches. Uh each church, Jesus. Uh, the praise that he gave to that church, the criticism he di- he gave to that church, the command that he gave to them, and then the promise that he gave to the overcomers. And so, um, if you will look down through there, and we've already we've already uh, went, covered the church at Ephesus. Now, you know, I, you understand that we could very easily do one week on each church without any problem or more. But uh, we're trying to um, not—we're not trying to just speed through it, but, um, but move through it as, um, as quickly as we possibly can and touch the highlights and glean some good things from this book of Revelation— But um, we've covered Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, and Sardis. And tonight, with the help of the Lord, we're going to um, cover the church at Philadelphia and Laodicea. So, um, if you'll notice, just looking over that handout, that uh, there is there when you look under the column of criticism the column of criticism you mean jesus would criticize me well yeah if you needed it he sure will and uh, he'll do it constructively but uh, the criticism if you'll notice there is are two churches that he had no criticism for so those two right there are the two churches that we want to do our very best to to copy those two churches. Amen, because that's that's what we're looking for. We're looking to um, we're looking to be as 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 pleasing unto the Lord as we possibly can. But uh, then if you'll notice that um, he gives he gives no criticism to two churches, so two out of five had a perfect score pretty much. Uh, he gives a promise to to the overcomers in every church, regardless of their spiritual condition. Um, he um, he gives praise. He gives praise to every church, except the one, the last one that we're hopefully going to get into tonight. There was no praise at all for the church at Laodicea. We definitely don't want to be in that category in that church. Amen. We definitely don't don 't want to be there, um, but you know each one of these churches also we haven 't talked too much about that, and i won 't get into that, but each one of these churches also represents a period of time or a church particular church age that lasted a certain time. The Ephesian church was the apostolic church from Pentecost to about I don't know, um, uh, 100 A.D. or somewhere in there. It was the church that started out on fire, but but they left their first love. And then you go down through each one of those churches covers an age. But the Philadelphia church that we're going to talk about tonight and the Laodicean church, the Philadelphia church, is known as the missionary church. And uh, this church speaks of an age in history that began about 1800, or in the early 1800s, when God began to move through men uh, in a special way after the, they'd come through the Dark Ages, and it was actually, another word, another name you could give for this Philadelphia church would be the Revival Church, because it was in this era that men like William Carey uh, was, was missionary to India, Hudson Taylor in China, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist in the United States. C.H. Spurgeon, the great pastor and preacher, the prince of preachers in London. And through these men and many others that are too numerous to mention, there was great evangelism that took place. And many missionaries were sent out. And there was a revival within the body of Christ, within the church. And so this particular church age still continues into the day which we're living in today. And the Philadelphia church, as you notice, is one of those churches that Jesus had no criticism for whatsoever. All he had for them was praise. But then the Laodicean church, which we'll mention as well, I believe is these two two last two churches are still... Uh, these these uh, these two church ages kind of blend together in where we're at today, but we're definitely seeing the Laodicean church age right before our eyes. This was a church that had no praise from the Lord. It was filled with apathy and indifference, and the command to them was to repent and to be zealous. And so um, there was a reward to the overcomer's promise for that church as well as we will see. But tonight, let's begin in chapter number number 3. I'm sorry, we're in chapter number 3 and verse number 7. Speaking to this church at Philadelphia, Jesus says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Lord, add your blessing tonight to the teaching of your word in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. This letter to the church at Philadelphia is all of the letters is addressed to the angel or to the messenger of that particular church. Which, as we have already discovered, is the minister or the pastor of that church. That pastor then is to share the message that Jesus has given to him and to this church he's to share that message with the rest of the church because God has called these men, women, whoever the whatever the case may be, the pastor of that particular church was the God appointed leader that God had chosen to keep the church focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and to keep the church alive and faithful. And uh, you know that is um, that's a job for the God called pastor to feed the flock of God to shepherd the flock of God but also to keep that church and in doing so keep that church and that flock focused on Jesus Christ. That's got to be our focus is the Lord Jesus Christ and to do his best to keep that church alive that it doesn't die. Amen. You know the death of any church starts usually in the pulpit. So the, the preacher's got to stay on fire, and he's got to stay alive, and he's got to do his best to keep the church alive and to keep them faithful. So Jesus has given this message to the angel, the messenger of the church at Philadelphia. And uh, this city of Philadelphia was a relatively small city. It was about 40 miles southeast of Sardis. And the church that was there in Philadelphia was a faithful, humble church. It was, an ex- it was an exceptional church in its worship and in its dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. The very name of this church, Philadelphia, as we know, means what? It means brotherly love. So this, many have, have spoken of this church as being the church of brotherly love. It was a church that was full of love. Jesus loved this church. Jesus was endeared to this church and this church had a great love for one another. You know, that when I was in studying these letters and we want to get through as much as we can, but there's so many messages that can be preached just from these texts, but how important that love is. In the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. To walk in love, to live in love, that we have this brotherly love one for another. But Jesus calls this church and um, he's given the message to this church, the church of brotherly love. And as we studied last week, the church at Sardis, the one that was just before this, In the very first part of uh, this third chapter, Jesus had absolutely nothing good to say about the church at Sardis. Everything that he said was negative. But when we get into the church of Philadelphia, as you'll see on your handout, Jesus had nothing negative to say about this church. There was absolutely no word of criticism to the church at Philadelphia only praise so they were doing everything right this is the church that we want to be this is the church that we want to pattern ourselves after and pattern our life after is a church that jesus is pleased with how many wants to be pleasing unto the lord amen that's the church we want to be and so jesus says to them he introduces himself and said this is who's speaking it's he who is holy that's Jesus. And it's he who is true. That's Jesus. And then he says it's he, Jesus is he who, who has the key of David. And he opens, and no one shuts, and shuts, and no one opens. Now, when you read, read that verse, you know, um, you, you think, okay, what's he talking about here? Jesus being the one who, who shuts, and no man opens, and opens, and no man shuts. When he's talking about keys and having keys, keys always in the Scripture represent authority, and so it's saying here that Jesus has total authority. That key is a symbol of power and authority. And when he mentions the key of David, this refers back, and we won't go there, but you can jot this down. It goes back, refers back to Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two, where the key of the house of David was given to Eliakim and then when he received that key eliakim was the treasurer under hezekiah and when he received the key to the house of david then eliakim had access to all the wealth and the treasure of the king the key the key gave him uncontestable control and authority. And that's what keys represent. The keys, Jesus, Jesus said, you know, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 16, he said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he said, and unto you, and to Peter, he said, unto you I give you the keys of the kingdom of God, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth it shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So he was talking about, Jesus was talking about the power and the authority that was given to the church. There's authority that is in the church, and Jesus has all power, and Jesus... Jesus has all authority. Can I get an amen tonight? So Jesus has the key of David, and he's the one that opens and closes doors. He opens to us the door of all of the spiritual treasures of heaven. And the church at Philadelphia was a church that, that was surrounded by paganism. It was a church that was surrounded by wickedness, and they were surrounded by opposition and by persecution. And the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the earth today is also surrounded by, even in this nation, getting worse and worse, surrounded by much opposition and wickedness and even paganism today. But in the midst of all this, Jesus gave this church the assurance that he has the power to open and close the doors of opportunity for them and for their church. And I'm going to tell you what, when Jesus opens a door, as he said here, no one can shut that door. There's no devil that can shut it. There's no power on earth that can close it. There's no opposition that Satan can bring against a church when Jesus has opened the the, the door of opportunity and blessing upon them. How many ever experienced in your life times when you seem to be, you know, facing and opposition hindrances are in your way but man all of a sudden praise God a door opened and you knew that it was the Lord that had opened that door and in spite of anything and everything that the devil could possibly try to do praise God there wasn't nobody or nothing that could close that door because when Jesus opens a door that door stays open Amen. No one can close that door. Praise God. And and so Jesus said, "I'm sitting before you." Verse number eight. He said, "I've set before you." Speaking to this church, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, and you have kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Now, what's the door that he's talking about here is a door of opportunity of ministry. Because of the location. Of this Philadelphian church, the traveling merchants all through this area had to pass through the city of Philadelphia. And this gave this church a great opportunity to reach a lot of people all across the Roman Empire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has set before. That's why this church we said was a missionary church. It was a revival church because God had set a wide open and Jesus had given them a wide open door of opportunity to spread the gospel and they were making good use of the opportunity that Jesus had given them. I wonder how many opportunities that we as a church and as individuals miss in spreading the gospel when Jesus has set open doors of opportunity before us. How many believe, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many believe tonight that that we should be praying for God to give us opportunities to share the gospel. Divine, divine appointments throughout the day to bring people across our path. Now I feel like preaching, but I can't do it. Amen. To bring people across our path to open doors for us, to open doors for us to share the gospel. How many can say tonight Brother Rick, I've had that happen where God has definitely opened doors for me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Paul even prayed that way. The apostle Paul prayed that way. And and, in Colossians, he he said to that church at Colossae, he he said, I want you to pray for us. Pray for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, that should be the prayer of the church of Jesus Christ today. That should be the prayer. Lord, open doors of opportunity. We're getting ready to have vacation Bible school here in a couple of weeks. You know what? We need to be praying. Lord, open up a door of opportunity for us to reach kids for Jesus Christ in this upcoming Vacation Bible School. And that should be our prayer all the time for God to open doors. Amen. What would happen if we would all pray that same prayer Paul prayed and then look for those doors to open to share Jesus and be obedient? And I know none of us miss it we never miss it do we amen but be obedient then to look for those doors and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those whom God sends across our path so this was an open door that he had given to them to share the gospel. They were a great missions church. They were a great revival church. They were a great preaching church. Oh Lord help us today to be like the church at Philadelphia. Set b- before us Lord an open door of opportunity to preach this gospel in these last days without fear and without favor and may you use abundant my family church and every church in this community. Pray God to reach many for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. He said to them, You have a little strength, and you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. And then when he talks about them having a little strength, he's not talking about spiritual weakness. And we know that because this was not a spiritually weak church. This was a spiritually strong church. When he talked about their weakness, about having a little strength, I believe that he's talking and referring to them being a smaller church. They were few in number. They were not the large congregation that was drawing a lot of people like the Laodicean church was. But they were few, and even this few, even this few, he said, even this remnant, even though you're small in number, you will have a great impact uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said that they had stayed true to him. He said, you have not, you have, you have not denied my name, and you have kept my word. Remember, we're pointing out tonight the positives about this church this is the kind of church this is any true pastor's dream church right here ladies and gentlemen he said I have you, you, you have stayed true to the word of God you've held fast your faith and held on true faith in Christ and his finished work at the cross and even in the faces of opposition and persecution they had not denied the Lord's name there was no amount of persecution that came their way that could cause them to deny Jesus or to give up on the word of God. They were not a compromising church. They held fast to the truth of the word of God. Didn't matter what the other churches in the area were doing. They held on to Jesus. They held on to his truth and they held on to his word. Come on. Amen. And then he says in verse number 9 he said indeed I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue a synagogue referred to an assembly And every assembly, every church assembly is not necessarily of the Lord. And I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, notice this, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Oh, hallelujah. Now, notice what he says about some some people. They were, they were people that were claiming to be Jews and were not, but were counterfeiters. This church had some counterfeiters. And I'm not talking about they were counterfeiting $20 bills. But they were pretending faith that they did not have. They were pretending to be a part of the church. They were pretending to be Christians. But in reality... Even though they were pretending to be God's people, they were phony believers. And this is what Jesus said about them. They say they are, but they are not, and they lie. Isn't that what he said? He said they claim something they do not possess. They claim to be a part of God's church, but they're really in reality of of the synagogue of Satan. And ladies and gentlemen, listen to me tonight. This is right here. This is the end times church. And in this end times church that we're in today, in these closing hours before Jesus comes, there is a synagogue of Satan or an assembly of people that are not truly of God. Those who say they are saved but are not. Does it matter where you attend church? Yes it does matter where you attend church. Amen. It very much does. Jesus said to these believers, he said you you know there's those those that are of that synagogue of Satan are lying uh, about their their relationship with God and he no doubt these this group was persecuting these true believers but Jesus said that he was going to exonerate these true believers in the church of Philadelphia and he said these pretenders i'm going to cause them to come and worship before your feet and that then they will that and they will know that I have loved you. Now, what does he mean there? He's not saying that he's going to have people coming and worshiping these saints, but but what he's saying is that those that have been a part of the synagogue of Satan, that he will that he will humble them before these true believers, and that they will acknowledge that they they will acknowledge them as being the true church, the real church. Man, we've caught a lot of flack in these last days, especially the 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 um, the the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that are are more conservative let's use that term because conservative seems to be a, a term liberal and conservative and just like you've got it in politics you've got it in churches there are conservative churches that hold fast and hold on to the to the to the beliefs and the teachings of of the Bible and being separated and walking and living uh, a holy life and then there are those who are more liberal that don't don't believe that you you know, you have to quit doing anything. Just come and do a few uh, uh, religious calisthenics every week and you're, you're good to go for the week to do anything you want to do. But there are, there are, there are concern as being a conservative group of a full gospel believers. You know, I've, I've, we've, we've been ridiculed and there's others in more liberal churches that have said things about, well, you're old school. You're just old school. And they've made fun of us. I'm tell you what, I wear that badge with honor today. Come on, somebody. You can call me old school all you want to. I'm going to stay old school. I ain't following that new way. I'm staying with the Word of God. I'm staying with the Holy Ghost. I'm staying with the cross of Christ. I'm staying with the blood of Jesus and the Word of Almighty God. Is anybody here tonight? Woo, hallelujah. I can't help but preach just a little. But he said those saints who were despised in this world will be exonerated for their life and their faithfulness and their holiness. That there's coming a day when that liberal church will realize, they'll understand, that that holiness bunch over there, that conservative bunch over there that thought everything was wrong, man, they really were right. They really were right. God's going to exonerate His true church. Amen? Just like Joseph's brothers, when I thought about this, how that he said they will come and bow at your feet. How Joseph's brothers despised him for the dream that he had and the, the the coat of many colors and the blessing of God the spirit of God that was on him. Amen. And they, they hated him so bad they wanted to get rid of him. They put him in a pit, sold him into Egypt, wanted to kill him. But there came a day, ladies and gentlemen. There came a day when they when they got down there to Egypt and Joseph's dream come through come true. And those brothers were bowed down before him. Him. amen they weren't worshiping him but God humbled his enemies are you hearing me God humbled his enemies at his feet and God will do the very same thing for his people and for his believers and for his true church today amen praise God verse 10 because you have kept my commandments to per- my command to persevere or to endure I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Notice this verse. Now, you could preach a whole message, do a whole teaching on this verse, because Jesus is promising this faithful group, this church at Philadelphia, that he's going to keep them from the hour of trial, the hour of trial that's coming upon the earth. Now, this that he speaks of is not just some localized test or trial they're going to go through, but this that he speaks of here is the catastrophic judgment Of God that's coming, the time of trouble that was prophesied by Daniel. Jesus is referring, because he said it it would be a time of trial that would come upon the whole world. And he said to this church, I'll keep you from that. Daniel prophesied about it. If you want to jot this reference down in Daniel 12 and 1, and it says that at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, prince with stands, which stands for the children of thy people, and there shall come, listen what he said, this is Daniel 12 1, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered. Talking about Israel, the Jewish people, they shall be delivered, and everyone shall be found, everyone that shall be found written in the book. What he's speaking of here and what Jesus is speaking of here, same thing Daniel is speaking of is the great tribulation period that's coming on the earth. Jesus prophesied the very same thing in Matthew 24, 21. Jesus said, very same thing Daniel said, For then shall be... Great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time no nor ever shall be. This is the time of tribulation that is yet to come. On the timeline that we gave you a few weeks ago, the little timeline, I posted it today on Facebook, but that little timeline shows the church age, shows the cross, then it shows the rapture, then it shows the period of tribulation, the great tribulation period. I don't know, some say that that it's all the great tribulation. Some say that the first three and a half years is tribulation, the second three and a half years great tribulation. But when we get into those seals, those, the loosing of those seals in chapter 6, you're going to find you ain't going to want to be here for none of it. Amen? You don't want to be here for none of it. It's going to be bad all the way through. Although the second three and a half years will be the worst that Jesus said would, would be tribulation such as has, has never been or ever shall be. But Jesus, listen, that tribulation time is coming. The Antichrist is coming on the scene. And we know that. And when we get over into uh, other areas here of Revelation, we're going to find out that things are going to be very, very, very bad during the tribulation period. But the thing we want to be assured of throughout this study is that Jesus assures the church that he will keep the church from this hour or this hour of trial that's coming on the whole earth, that he will remove the church before this happens happens that they will be raptured before the tribulation comes amen Paul said that we are to wait for his son from heaven whom he whom he raised from the dead even Jesus who is coming to deliver us from the wrath to come I'm not looking for the antichrist I'm looking for Jesus Christ amen he is coming back and he's coming soon and we teach it here we believe it. we are pre-tribulation rapture people that the We believe the church is exempt. The church is exempt from divine judgment and the wrath of God and this verse right here in Revelation 3.10 reveals a pre trib rapture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, amen? And then he says it. he follows up verse 10 with verse 11 and he says behold, behold, behold I am coming quickly. fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. Somebody said, well, he didn't come very quickly. But actually the word quickly in the Greek is the word that means suddenly. And the Lord could come in any moment. When he does come, it's been 2,000 years since he made this statement and this promise. But when he does come, he's coming quickly. When he does come, he's coming suddenly. When he does come, he's coming in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye. And I want you to know, ladies, and gentlemen tonight this is teaching the imminence of the coming of the Lord the imminent return of Christ for his church he can come at any moment he can come at any time hallelujah and we are looking for him to come even before this service is over tonight if he doesn't come before this service is over I'll get up looking for him in the morning I'll look for him at noon I'll look for him tomorrow night I'll look for him every day You got to keep your eye on that eastern sky, ladies and gentlemen, and keep your heart in tune and right with the Lord because he is coming quickly, suddenly, Jesus is coming back. Coming back for his church. Hallelujah! Now, those who believe in a mid-trib rapture, those who believe in a post-trib rapture, they have to say, "Well, the Lord can't come back today." And there's many that believe that. Well, that the, the, the Lord can't come back because we haven't entered into the tribulation. The tribulation hasn't begun. The Antichrist hasn't been revealed, and there are those that te- that are teaching that we will see the Antichrist. The church will and know who he is. I don't, I don't, I don't buy into that particular teaching and doctrine. I believe that the restrainer that is holding back the antichrist, the spirit of antichrist and that man of sin from being revealed that restrainer that will be taken out of the way is the Holy Spirit filled church that is in the earth today and when that restrainer is removed when that hinderer of lawlessness the church is removed then shall that wicked one be revealed then shall that antichrist be revealed So, the next thing we're looking for today is the rapture, the coming of the Lord. And it could be today, so praise God. Come quickly, come quickly, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Whoo, got to hurry here. He said, Hold fast what you have. Hold fast what you have. He's telling them he's going to deliver them from the tribulation. He's coming, he's coming suddenly. So he says, now, what you do, hold fast to what you have. He didn't have any criticism for them, but he said, what you've got, hold on to it. Don't give up now. Stand true. Be faithful. Be ready for his return. Be prepared. Don't lose your crown. A lot of people are giving up right here at the end of the finish line. They're falling out of the race. And that's the warning Jesus has given to the church of Philadelphia and to us tonight is not to lose out a warning, to be prepared and to be ready to remain in a continual state of faithfulness because we know that His return will be sudden and without warning. And Jesus Himself said, Watch therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes." So be ready. Don't let anybody steal your crown. Hold on to what you got. Hold on to it. Don't let go of your crown, of your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 12 He gives the promise now to the overcomer. He who overcomes. How many overcomers we got in here tonight? Praise God. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he should go out no more. I will write on him the, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so he gives now, as he does in every one of these letters, an encouragement to the overcomer. That, that believer, that individual who swims against the current, that one who overcomes the evil cultures of the day, the one who refused to, refuses to go along with the evil crowd, but the one that the one that's a conqueror, hey man, he or she will be duly rewarded if they hang on and are faithful unto the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll hold on to your crown, if you'll keep looking for, for his coming, if you'll overcome the, the 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 lusts of the flesh and the evils of this present world you will be firmly planted he said I'll make you I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God oh pillar something that's permanent Saints heaven is a place that's permanent amen the overcomer is going to be a permanent fixture in the house of God in the temple of God in the city of the New Jerusalem praise God this earth is transitory and it's and it's and it's you know it's everything's passing away and the earth and the, and what is in it, it will soon be burned up but I'm telling you those who overcome and stay true to the Lord. He said, I'll give you a new name. Hallelujah. I'll make you a pillar in the temple of God. I'll write a new name on you. Just as the the Antichrist people will be marked with the mark of the beast, those who overcome are going to be marked with the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be made a permanent place, given a permanent place to heaven. We will know. The Bible says that. God knows, the Lord knows those who are His. We've already got the seal of God on us. And praise God, He's going to, He has marked us as belonging to God. And we are going to live forever with Him. Amen. It's going to be worth it all if you just hang on to your crown and be an overcomer. Be an overcomer. Be an overcomer. Amen. Oh, what a glorious day that's going to be. Now, let's get into this last church. We got, it, we got a, nothing good to say about it, so we can run through it. <laughs> but there are some things that we can learn here from the church at Laodicea. There are what, what kind of what? We just talked about the missionary church, revival church with no rebuke. That's where we're. That's where we want to be. There are churches like that today, but there are are also many like this next church. Not a revival church, not a missionary church, but a lukewarm church. Verse fourteen, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write. These things says, the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. All of those are attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you. And this is New King James. King James says spew, but it's the Greek word for vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Laodicea. This is the church age that we are in today. Laodicea was a very wealthy city. It had its own medical school. It had a textile industry. It was a, had a very robust banking system. It was a very wealthy city, as I said. The city... Uh, had a manufacturing plant there. You know, what they manu- you, know, you know what their greatest thing that they manufactured in Laodicea was a popular eye salve that was called collirium. The city's water supply, and these things are going to fit into what Jesus says to them. They manufactured eye salve. Their water supply came from the hot springs of Hierapolis, And when the water came down the mountains from Hierapolis to Laodicea, by the time it arrived at Laodicea, the water was neither hot nor cold, but it was lukewarm. Jesus uses these visuals to clearly communicate his utter frustration with this church and with casual christians he 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 gives here his disdain in this letter for half-hearted worship anything and everything we do for god needs to be all out full-blown full throttle for jesus christ he said i know your works are neither hot or cold this Church at Laodicea was a wealthy church. It was self satisfied. They were smug. But even though they had material wealth and they were depending very, very highly on their wealth, they were very proud of how wealthy they were. And in spite of all of the material wealth, it was a needy and impoverished church spiritually. Doesn't matter how much a church has material, or materially or financially, the most important thing is what you got spiritually. And that's where our focus has to be because, listen, listen, this church was not hot. They were not cold, but they were lukewarm, Jesus said. They were only half committed and they were half-hearted. They were complacent. They were lethargic. They were self-satisfied, they were indifferent, and they were neutral. We're trying to identify ourselves. This is not the kind of Christians we want to be. These Laodicean Christians, here was their attitude. Just shrugging their shoulders at the Lord, at spiritual things, and at His church. They weren't focused on the things of God. This kind of church, this lukewarm church, won't do anything at all. It's simply, here's what this lukewarm church does. It goes with the crowd. It straddles the fence. It stays just in the middle of the road. It's not a supporter of really any side. It doesn't want to offend anybody. Just please everybody. Man, I've heard preachers on TV make that statement. Well, I'm going to leave that with the Lord. We're not going to judge that. We're not going to say anything against that. Just give me a fence and I'll put one foot on one side and just kindly be right in the middle. That's lukewarm. Elijah's message to those prophets of Baal and to, to, the, to the Israelites who were following them on Mount Carmel. He said, what was, what was it? He said to them, how long halt ye between two opinions? Get on one side or the other, but don't try to straddle the fence. Man, this needs to be preached on Sunday morning. This church is too weak, this Laodicean church, too weak to stand against evil. But it's very popular with the world. And this is the church age that we see right before the rapture. And here's what Jesus said concerning this church. He said, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What does that mean? Your condition nauseates me. Your your condition is distasteful. Tasteful to me. It makes me want to vomit. You mean Jesus said that? Yeah. Jesus said that. You know what this is? It's a divine rejection of this church unless they changed. Jesus would reject them. In verse 17, he said, You say, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy. And I have need of nothing. See, here's that lukewarmness. And do not know. You do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They were a conceited bunch. They were so full of pride. They gloried in their material prosperity. They thought their material prosperity was so great that they didn't need anything else. And they never, ever considered their spiritual needs. This church didn't talk about the reality of sin They didn't talk about, ever talk about the need of repentance. And they never mentioned the cross of Christ. They thought they had it all. But in reality, they were spiritually bankrupt where it counted the most in the things of God. The Laodiceans were blind and unconscious of their spiritual poverty and unconscious of their true condition. Not only were they in a spiritual mess that nauseated Jesus, they were so blinded they thought they were the best thing on the block. Man. Gets down where the rubber meets the road. Amen. Verse 18, he said, Jesus said, I counsel you. Now, here's the counsel. That Jesus gives to them a counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Get some of the true riches and white garments that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. The Lord speaks to them of three areas of spiritual need. The first one is gold. He said, you need to buy some gold. You got a lot of gold in your bank account, but you need to buy some true gold that's been tried in the fire that you may be really rich. You know what I believe the gold speaks of? There's a lot of ways you could go here, but just basically the Word of God in the Scripture is referred to as gold many, many times. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, he said, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver. And he said, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. See, Jesus was saying to them, what you need to do is get a hold of the Word of God. What you need is to get back in the Scriptures and be devoted to the Word of God. If you'll get back to the Bible, instead of a lot of other nonsense that you're involved in, if you'll get back with the true gold, with the Word of God, you'll have some true riches then he said, not only get you some gold of the Word, but he said, you need to get some different clothes on. Amen? Spirituals are speaking. Listen, this is what he was saying. You need to get some white remnant that you may be clothed. What's he speaking of? He's talking about a spiritual nakedness that they had. He's talking about the fact that they need some, some godly spiritual garments in their life. Isaiah spoke of it in Isaiah 61.10 when he said, My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. You know what Jesus was saying? You don't have the garments of salvation. You don't even have the robe of righteousness. You think we have need of nothing, but you're naked and miserable and shameful. They these these people in this church were not saved. They needed to be clothed with the white garments of salvation. They were not living godly holy lives and they needed to be clothed with the divine righteousness of Christ. And then he says what you need to do is get you some eye salve and anoint your eyes that you may see. You're spiritually blind. You have no spiritual discernment. You need some spiritually some spiritual discernment. So See, as I said, they manufactured uh, this eye salve there in Laodicea, and they claimed that it healed eye ailments. They sold this stuff all over the area, all throughout the Roman Empire. This eye salve from Laodicea was claimed to be a miracle drug that could bring sight back to eyes that couldn't see. They claimed that it would do that. They sold it everywhere. You know what Jesus was telling them? He was telling them, you need to anoint your eyes but not with the collerium that you have you need to anoint your eyes with some eye salve of the Holy Spirit so that you can see so that you can see what your true spiritual condition is Jesus smeared some mud in a blind man's eye one time and he had been blind from birth but he could see after the mud was washed out well these guys had mud in their eye but they needed they couldn't see nothing but they needed some spiritual Holy Ghost, I salve to strip away the spiritual blindness so they could see their true condition and get right with the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And he said this in verse 19. We're almost done. As many as I love, see, listen to this. Where, where are the, the hyper grace non repentance people at? They don't read their Bible. As many, this is Jesus, as many as I love, verse 19, I, what? Rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. He said chastisement's going to come. But you know what? Chastisement is motivated by His love. Why does he chasten? He chastens because he loves us. The order here that Jesus gives is this. The order is first, there will be rebuke, and then if you don't listen to the rebuke, next comes chastening. We don't like to hear that part. Amen? Rebuke is a verbal warning. Chastening after the rebuke is scorned is the action that the Lord takes to take us to the woodshed I would rather listen to the verbal rebuke and straighten up than to have the chastening I learned that when I was a little boy amen mom said you do that again I'm going to whoop you and I just do it in any way. and after she whooped to me I was saying I wish I'd listened to what she said praise the Lord say amen if you're still with me So if you pay attention to the rebukes, you'll not have to experience the more discomforting action. But both rebuke and chastening is meant to prompt something. To prompt what? Repentance. Which is a change. He was telling them, I'm rebuking you because I want you to repent and change. I'm rebuking you and I'm chastening you and I'm doing everything I can. Here's the grace of God and the mercy of God to get you to change and repent. And he said in verse 20... I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. And we use this, you know, as an invitation to sinners, that he's knocking on the heart's door of a sinner. Jesus is. And he does. But that's not what this context is. Jesus is trying to get into a church that won't let him in. Ouch. He said, I'm standing at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice. And opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. There's a classic picture. How many ever seen that picture of Jesus knocking on the door? And that classic picture, it hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And when it was first unveiled, there was a certain critic that was there when they unveiled it. And he was just looking for something wrong. And the critic said to the artist that, that painted that picture, Oh, you've made a mistake. There's no handle on the door. And the artist looked at him and he said, well, that was intentional because the door only opens from the inside amen you have to be the one that lets Jesus in it's up to you and me to let the Lord live in our lives he's not going to kick the door down he's not going to face force his way into our hearts and he's not going to force his way into a church any church that tries to put the operation of the Holy Spirit out in the back room somewhere the, the, the Lord's just not going to be working and moving in that place we have to open the door you don't know how many times i, I I, I In my prayers, I say, Jesus, the door to abundant life, family church, is open to you. We want you here. We welcome you here. We want your rebuke. We want your correction. We want to please you. We desire your presence in our midst. Amen. But here he's on the outside of the church trying to get in. He's on the outside of a lot of churches today. And he wants to come in, but they've got to open the door. Here's the tragedy today, saints. Here's the tragedy that there are some people, there are multitudes of people. I won't just say some. There are multitudes of people that go to church all of their lives. And all of their lives, they go to that church. They're a member of that church. They've been confirmed into that church. They've been baptized into that church. But they never want to one time hear a message on repentance they've never heard about the new birth they've never heard about the fact of sin they've never heard the uh, a message on hell I'm going to tell you something Jesus is not in that church I'm not being judgmental Jesus is not in that church because they are not preaching the whole counsel of God amen We must preach the whole counsel of God. And he said, if you'll open the door, if you'll hear my voice, I want in. I'm knocking. Open the door. The handle's on your side. Let me in. And if you will just open the door and repent and invite me in, I'll come in and I will dine with you. And you, and you with me, will have good. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means we'll have fellowship together. I've got some good food. Uh, you know, uh, those post resurrection appearances of Jesus, you read about him after he resurrected. Every time he's meeting with the disciples, they're eating something. Praise God. I can get excited about that. I mean, they're out fishing all night. They come to shore. He's already got breakfast cooked. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah. He wants to come in and fellowship and sup and dine with his people, with his church, commune with us. The last two verses, I went a little bit over, but to him who overcomes... I will grant, here's the message to the overcomer, promise to the overcomer. Verse 21, to him that overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne as I also have overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. See, Jesus would say, hey, you open your heart to me and I'll open heaven to you. Hallelujah. 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 That's, that's one door right there that Jesus puts open in front of us. He's the only one who can open that door to heaven. And he says, if you'll just open up your heart to me, I'll open up heaven to you. You'll, you'll, you'll sit with me on my throne if you overcome. Because I've overcome. How many knows he's overcome the world? He said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the flesh. I've overcome the devil. And he said, just as I have overcome and sat down with my father on his throne, oh, you can overcome and sit with me. See, ladies and gentlemen, that individual who overcomes lukewarmness and half and and, and that half-hearted commitment to Christ, that person that repents and turns his life over to Jesus shall sit on the throne of Christ and of God, overcomers. What is he saying here? You'll share my throne. We'll rule and reign with him in the millennial reign on this earth for 1,000 years and in the new heaven and in the new earth and in the new Jerusalem, the glorified saints that have overcome this world and the powers of darkness and that have been faithful unto the end those glorified saints of God are going to rule and reign with Jesus underneath Jesus Christ in various places on this earth. Amen? That's what we're destined for. We are destined for a throne. We are destined for greatness and it's only as we go through this life faithful to Jesus. Faith. Let me tell you it's going to be worth it all brother bill no matter what the devil says no matter what we go through no matter what temptations or trials or persecutions it will be worth it all when we see jesus and when we are there before his throne hallelujah and we're there in the presence of god go ahead and give him some praise tonight i am looking forward to what God has in store for his church. Amen. Amen. Amen.